Fellowship Church. I'm going to continue on in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Holy Father, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. We do offer you our sacrifice of praise. Please receive it from us today. Let your spirit dwell richly among us. Lord, we look to the city that is to come. Please equip our hearts so that we can go out and show people just a little bit of what that looks like as we reflect your light to them in the world. Please bless Pastor Chris and the word that he's going to bring today. Please soften hearts to receive it. Let it have an impact on our lives and the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Well, we spent 21 weeks in the book of Hebrews, and today we're kind of closing it all up uh, together. I don't know about you, but I'm a little sad. Hebrews has been just an incredible book to kind of dive through and to walk through and just to see God's incredible handiwork and all of that. We started um, a long time ago in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, and we had this idea that we could take the prophets— And we could prove, but now God has spoken to us by his son, right? And then in those verses, we had this list of seven things, if you remember, that kind of pointed out like all the beauty of who Jesus was, right? He was the, the heir of all things. He was appointed to be the heir of all things, right? He, he was the radiance of the perfect picture of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Um, by the power of his world, the universe holds together. He was the creator God, and then he was seated at the right hand of God. This incredible picture of Jesus that we saw being laid out throughout the entire book of Hebrews, all of it to say that Jesus is better. He's greater than anything that we could even imagine because there was this group of Hebrews right on the edge of following Christ. Should I dive in? Should I go all the way or should I run back to my old life? And the author of Hebrews is like, look, there is no old life. 
Those sacrifices are dead. That covenant is the old covenant. I have a new covenant for you, a new experience for you in all these ways. If you remember, we've had these buttons over here that we're finally going to finish out today because we want to have these things in the back of our mind that are reminders about what the book of Hebrews is all about. So if you remember, this first one was like, Boop. Jesus is greater. Who's he greater than? He's greater than the angels. Again, an angel shows up in your room tonight and be like, Jesus is better, right? That, that's your response to them, right? They're like, thanks, you're really shiny, but tell me something about Jesus, right? Because Jesus is better. He was better than Moses. Remember Moses, the incredible mediator of this covenant, Mount Sinai, that we talked about last week, and he was a great, he was great, but Jesus is better, Because he gives us Mount Zion, a new covenant. He's seated at the right hand of God. Direct access to God the Father. He's better than Joshua. Joshua entered him into the land. He gave him a temporary rest. But we're going to get an eternal rest in God when someday we see him in all of his glory and we get to go to heaven. Jesus is greater. But not only that, but then we we had the next one, which was that he was the great high priest. That not only was he greater and greater than Melchizedek, this kind of mysterious guy that showed up in the book of Genesis, but he was the perfect sacrifice. That he was the one who brought in this new covenant to us. So he had the right to enter into the holy place because he didn't need a sacrifice for his sins. He was perfect. The perfect sacrifice once for all. And not only that, but then he showed us The perfect pattern by which to follow that by faith we can have a relationship with him. I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to be the great high priest. It's one thing for Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. But he wants to know me and you. He wants to have a relationship with us. What? And then not only that, but he came to the earth and walked as we could walk. We could put our faith in him and follow his pattern because he was... Tempted in every way we were, but without sin. He was willing to sacrifice, lay down his life for us. What a better pattern to follow. And then we saw Hebrews 11, this hall of faith, all these beautiful men and women following God's plan, waiting on the promised reward, looking forward to the time that Jesus would make all things new. And we do all that to say that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who else can we trust in? Who else can we base our life upon? Is there anyone better, anyone better, any better pattern to follow than the pattern of Jesus, the perfect example of love, the perfect example of leadership, the perfect example of sacrifices? So it brings us to chapter 13, where in chapter 13, he's going to give us sort of what we're supposed to do. That God is going to make his appeal through you and through me to a world that needs hope. Amen? Does our world out there need the hope of Jesus? It does. Who's going to take it to them? How are they going to know if they don't hear? How are they going to know if you don't take the word of God to them? If we aren't the reach, Jesus making his appeal through us. We are his ambassadors. How are we going to do that? And well, chapter 13 tells us three ways. Here's the whole sermon, the first five minutes. If you need to, you can go after that, right? Love well, lead well, sacrifice well. And he's going to teach us how do we love well, how do we lead people well, and then how do we sacrifice 
well because these are the things that Jesus did. This is the pattern he lived and the pattern that we need to live as well. So we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 13. There's a, there's a lot to go through today, so we're just going to get your ears on, turn them to, I'm not on 1.2 speed, right? Just get, get with me. We're, we're going today. It said, let brotherly love continue. That how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ is an appeal to the world. Do you realize that? In fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 13. He talks about a new command that I'll give to you, that you love one another. Remember the whole law and the prophets are summed up in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving each other. That we're supposed to do that. Why? Because all the people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. That the way that you love one another is a picture to the world about the love of Christ. Do you love the people in this room? Do you have a relationship with them? Do you love them well? I hope this is a place that you find the love of God, that you find family, that you find people that will stand by your side in the worst of times, that will be there to pick you up when you fall. I pray that this is a place for you. But then it's not just we're the click of Fellowship Church of Plum Creek. Because then he says this in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Like, what? Like, you were, you were caring for someone you didn't know. They might be an angel. Like, what? Can you imagine? Can you imagine peeling back the veil? Like, imagine, you realize that we don't get to see the world as it really is. That there's a spiritual realm going on all around us. Angels, demons, all this crazy stuff happening. Could you imagine, like, just getting a glimpse of that? Just for a second, getting back. I don't know what it would look like, but it would look crazy. Little distracting that they're what we see now as if through a veil. That someday we're going to see what Jesus has been doing all behind it. That sometimes the people that you met, they weren't people. I don't know what that means. I don't know who I met that may not, but that means that God is working even today. Not, not just like Abraham where he's sitting out by the oaks of Mamar and he's like chilling out and there's just three guys who walk by on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah and one of them is Jesus. And he's like, hey, stay, let me, let me cook you something, let me hang out with you, right? Uh, we could be doing that even today, interacting with people that are not people, that are the Lord at work. All our, do you believe that God is all at work all around us? So we need to be, show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are all the body, in the body that if part of our body is being mistreated, we pay attention to it. Are you loving the broken? Are you loving the mistreated? Are you loving the hurting? How are you loving them well? This is what it means for us as the body of Christ to love people well. We shouldn't be causing the hurt. We should be the healer, bringing in the love of Christ to a broken and dying world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Are you loving people well? Well, then, then he jumps, it seems random inside of here, but then he jumps to marriage. Look what he says here in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, um, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now listen, marriage, he jumps into how we love our spouse, how we love the people around us. If you want to ask, what are some of the things that are under attack in our world today, marriage would be one of the things that's on the top of the list. 
that marriage is under attack. And it's not just under attack from outside the church. It sometimes is even under attack from inside the church or people that call themselves a church. How do we know? How do we define this idea of let the marriage bed be held in honor by all? Now, listen, I'm going to make a bold statement. All right? I'm going to give you, here's your mature Christian warning. All right? Some of the things that are said might offend people, right? Because I'm going to talk about marriage, I'm going to talk about men, and I'm going to talk about women, okay? So just get ready. Here it comes. Here's the hot take. God gets to define everything. Now listen, before you agree to the statement, because it has wide-reaching implications, God gets to define everything. Do you believe that? Because listen... In today's world, historic terms, words mean something. They're getting redefined, right? Historic teachings, like historic institutions, these things in our world, they're being questioned all of a sudden because they're, why would God allow that to happen? Why would the world out there attack marriage? It should be this beautiful thing. Well, because marriage means something, In fact, let's talk about one of these things that's being under attack today. Do you realize that God is the creator? That because he's the creator, he gets to define everything, right? We're the clay, he's the potter. What right does the clay have to question the potter, right? He's the creator, so he gets to define everything as the creator. So that means that inside of creation, there's design. Or do you believe that inside of creation, there's randomness? Do you believe that you have come from a primordial slime, or do you believe that God created you in your mother's womb, that he knit you together, and that in one side you have purpose? You are designed by God to have purpose. One, you have no hope. You're just a random group of cells that kind of came together, and there is no eternal life. There's only returning to the dust. Yet God says, I designed you. Do you understand? There's design in the universe. In fact, where's that design found? It's found in God himself. Have you ever thought about what our God is like? The triune God that we worship, right? God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. What does that even look like? Do you realize that Jesus, when he was on the earth, he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. That Jesus Christ, inside of the design of God himself, submitted to the will of the Father. And that the Holy Spirit knows both the mind of Christ and the will of God and submits to both of them. And that all through creation, this picture is laid out for us in all these different institutions. Why am I making such a big deal about the design of God and God as the creator? Because in creation, God defined marriage. You realize that? In the beginning, in creation, God defined it. Now listen, if you've been hurt in a marriage, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that people haven't fulfilled the design that God had. But this is the hand of God and the design of marriage. Look what he says in Genesis 2, verse 24. Right, talking about Adam and talking about Eve and talking about this creative force. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know what's crazy about this? They had no father and no mother. Adam was a piece of dirt. Clay together, and God's like, breathe life in him. God is the beginner, the author of life. And then Eve's made out of his rib, not out of his head so she could load over him, not out of his feet so he could trample her, but out of so because Adam was, needed a helper. 
It was not good for man to be alone. The perfect complement to one another, and they became one flesh. Marriage is meant to be this picture of unity. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Genesis. That was a long time ago. Do you realize Jesus himself in Matthew 19 even reaffirmed this from the creative order? Look what he says in Matthew 19. He says, and he answered them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, therefore, we've heard this verse before, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That the picture of marriage was meant to be this covenant relationship between a man and a woman. But there's even more because this covenant relationship was going to point somewhere else. One, it was going to point to the design of God. Because this covenant relationship between a man and a woman before God means that the, the man, the husband, has got to submit his life to Christ. That as a husband, your job is to submit to the will of God. And as a wife, your job is to submit to God, to see the beautiful picture that God has for your life, but also to submit to your husband. And it's easy to do that if your husband will lay himself down and submit himself to the Lord. In fact, that's the picture that we see in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn there with me. I've gotten to read this verse a lot lately because I've done a a lot of uh, weddings lately. In fact, in two weeks, my own daughter is getting married. Um, it's going to be really awesome. Um, yeah, she was up here singing today. Uh, in third service, he's going to sit right there, and I'm going to turn her in third service and go, David, a husband should love you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding, because I've already done that. We've already talked about this. But um, husbands, this is for you. This is Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Woo! Husbands, we have to give ourselves up for our wives. We don't get the excuse of being tired. We don't get the excuses of, of I don't really want to engage in that today. We're supposed to lay down our life for our bride. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Woo! That we get to play an active role in the people under our leadership flourishing. The husbands, we're the greenhouse helping everyone underneath of us grow fruit to flourish. Are the people in your household flourishing? Husbands, that's on us. Are we helping our wife flourish in the gifts that God has given her to be the beautiful creation God has made her to be? This is what our call is as a husband. That having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that we're supposed to be the one engaging in discussions about the word. We're the ones giving her the hope of the scripture, helping her understand and leading our household in that way so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle for any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. You've heard this verse before. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and 
the church. Why is marriage under attack? Because marriage is supposed to point people to Christ. That your marriage is designed by God to be a picture of Christ and the church. Christ willing to give up his life for those that were underneath him, helping them flourish through the Holy Spirit in the beautiful gifts that God has given the church. That's our job. Our, is your marriage something that points people to Jesus? When they look into your life and they see your interaction and see the way that you love one another, they're like, there is a genuine love, unity, oneness that is there. I want to know about that. And it points them towards the love of Christ. Because only through the love of Christ can you have a marriage that really honors the Lord, that keeps the marriage bed undefiled because you're honoring God in the way that you live your life. Marriage is under attack, but God has designed it to be a picture of himself and the church. But that's not the only thing that the world has tried to corrupt. The world also tries to corrupt our love through money. Look what it says next. In verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do do to me? What if we started our day every day with this verse out of Psalm 118, this quote that we see in here? What if you were to wake up every day and be like, you know what? i got a stressful day today, but the Lord is my helper. The Lord is with me. He's side by side. He's arm in arm with me. I will not fear. Stress, anxiety, these things that come up in our world and they're killing us, we lay it aside because we know, you know what can man do to me? What if I were to walk in the world with that attitude? Would I be an example of Christ who speaks the truth so much so that they tried to kill him multiple times, but he just went through their midst. Right? It wasn't his appointed time yet, but yet when it was the time, he laid down his life for us. Are we content? Are we caught up in the love of money? Um, you know, we debated early on in Hebrews who was the author of Hebrews, right? Was it Paul? Was it one of his disciples? Chapter 13 is very, very Pauline. It is very, very much like Paul because you see a lot of similarities to the book of 1 Timothy. Let's go back to it. We'll just read one verse. Read 1 Timothy when you get home, and you'll be like, wow, that sounds a lot like Hebrews 13. But look what it says in chapter 6, verse 6 of 1 Timothy about this not getting caught up in the love of money. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. Really? Come on now. Let's be honest. If you went home and there was nothing else there, if all you had was Jesus, food, and clothing, would you be content? Pastor confession time. I like my stuff. Like, I like my computer. It's got two screens. I got the Boston game on last night while I'm working on sermon notes, while I'm doing this and doing that. My mind's splitting a bunch of pieces. But I love it. Right? I love it. Would you be content if all you had was Jesus? I know. We're in America. That's hard. We're already a farming as Chick-fil-A. Oh, no, it's Sunday. Can't do that. Got to go somewhere else, right? Our idea of, of 
need, right, is something didn't go, our Wi-Fi didn't work fast enough, right? What if we just had food and clothing, but we had Jesus? Or, whew, would you pick all the stuff even if you didn't have Jesus? It shows us where our heart is. What, what our heart is. We hold loosely onto these things, right? Because we trust in God and these things. But look what he says next. But those who desire to be rich, did he know about America when he started writing this? Right, because this is so so speaking to our culture. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Chasing after money is like self-inflicted wounds. Because we're chasing after something that we're never going to be satisfied in. Instead of saying, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. What can man do to me? Let me walk in the confidence of the Lord day by day, minute by minute, walking with him. So this is how we love well. We love one another. We love the hurting. We love the broken. We choose not to love money. We're content, and we choose to hold marriage in high honor. That's how we love well. Then he says this next, the next section, how do we lead well? Verse 7 is extremely convicting to those of you that are leaders in this room and myself as well. It says this, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Whoo! Not many of you should maybe become leaders. Because as soon as you become a leader, your life is open to everyone. That now you have the ability, because I come up and I teach the word of God, you have ability to look at my life. Here's what I say. Here's what I live. If they're aligned, it points people to Christ. It says, imitate my faith. Imitate the way I am. Take my marriage. When you walk, look at my girls and I say, underneath of your leadership, your wives, your kids should flourish. And you say, does Tara flourish? She's not there. She was there last period. Um, last period. Last service. She, um, um, teacher flashback, okay? Um, but when you look at Tara, is she someone that flourishes in her gift or is she someone that's defeated? And when you look at my girls, you say, is it somebody that is flourishing their gifts? When you look at my boys, it's somebody who's flourishing in the way that God has given them. That's an indictment upon me. You have an opportunity to look at my life as a leader. We're out front. Right? Don't trust leaders who don't tell you about their life. Don't trust leaders who present themselves as perfect. I already confessed to you, I like stuff. You know my struggles. We talk about them all the time. The the U-Haul of baggage that I have behind me. We talk about those things. But invite people into your life. When you're a leader and you say one thing, you're a boss, you're a parent, you're a worker somewhere. When you say one thing but you don't live it out, what do they call you? Hypocrite. Hypocrites don't lead people towards Christ. But when you, you speak the word and you live the word, then you're the light. Then you have an opportunity to point people to Jesus. If you just say, well, what is Chris all about? Guys, I have a radical faith in Jesus. I'm willing to give it all up for Jesus. You know this, I love this book. I love the word of God. I think it's crazy, 
cool all the time. It blows me away that I get a chance to study it and look at it and, and dissect it and do all the things. It's amazing. Do you love the Word of God? Imitate the faith of the leaders that are around you. If you're a leader, do you want people to imitate you? Parents, do you want your kids to grow up like you? If you're, if you're like, no, not really, change. Be different. Be something that you want them to grow up as. Guys, listen, when you're old like me, they're going to marry people like you. Talk about pressure. They're going to marry someone like you that loves the word, that loves these things. Let's make ourselves more like Christ because he's the perfect pattern for us to follow. And ultimately, as a dad, all I want for my kids is that they marry someone like Jesus. All I want is for them to be more like Jesus. This is what it means by imitate faith. Leaders, do people flourish underneath of your leadership? Do they flourish underneath of the way you lead? You lead. This week I was looking up a sermon. I found Isaac online in a sermon talking about Psalm 92 and just how in Psalm 92 the author is talking about how we should flourish as an evergreen, flourish as a palm tree, that we should be firmly planted, rooted, so the righteous flourish like a palm tree, right? That we should be firmly rooted in God so that regardless of the circumstances, we're going to flourish and produce fruit. Are you helping the people around you flourish in their gifts? That's what it means to be a leader. Why? Because look what it says in verse 8. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the God of this book is the same God then as he is today and then he's going to be forever. Now we can trust the things that we read in this book because they show a faithful God. Whew, isn't that good news? We don't have a God who wavers and depends on his mood this way like, oh, I'm not feeling good about you today, smite, right? We have a God who is love. He literally is Love. We know how to love because it is his character and who he is. That's the good news of the gospel. Why is it important? Why is it important to have leaders whose lives match their words? Why is it that we hold them accountable? Because our lives are on display. Look what it says next in verse 9. Do not be led astray, be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. Now, we have strange and diverse teaching in the world that are going to try to pull us away. This is why we have our anchor in God. Remember, Hebrews talked about he's the anchor of our soul. We're anchored in Jesus, so we're not tossed to and fro by the philosophies of the world that try to want to redefine terms that we trust in him. And then he goes into an interesting thing about sacrifice. Look what he says in verse 10. And we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So he's flashing back to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, all these sort of different things. And so he's saying, um, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So he's flashing us back into Leviticus 16. Remember Leviticus 16. This is the day of atonement where you had the scapegoat, right? You had the scapegoat where you confessed the sins of the nation and wandered out into the desert. And then you had this picture of the animal sacrifice and the blood on the day of atonement was taken in and sprinkled on the mercy seat. But what happened to the rest of the animal? It was different than any other sacrifice because it was taken outside of the city gates and the flesh 
was destroyed outside the city gates. Why? Why why was that important? Because it was foreshadowing Christ. Look what he says in verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Where did Jesus go to die? At Golgotha. They took him outside the gates onto the hill, the place of the skull where his body died. But where did his blood go? To sanctify us on the mercy seat. The heavenly mercy seat. It is finished, right? Now, where do we want to live? Inside the city or at the outside? Outside the camp where Jesus was. Look what he encourages us to do. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Wait, 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 God. You just told me I might lose everything and only have food and clothing. Now I'm walking with just food and clothing and I now have reproach. I might go into the world talking about the tenets of God and people might hate me. People might not like me. They may not like the way I live. Yeah, because that's how they treated Jesus. They, they loved him when he did the things they wanted him to do. They loved him when he fit inside of their little box. But as soon as he started pushing on the traditions that had gotten bigger than their faith in God, they began to crucify him. They began to judge him. They began to persecute him in those ways. How do we think that might not happen to us? Are we willing? How radical is our faith Are we ready to go outside the camp to where he is? For here we have no lasting city. If our hope is in this world, what kind of hope is that? But we seek a city that is to come. But our hope is in eternal life in heaven. That the author of life is going to give us eternal life in him. Through him. So then it gives us sort of this response again for us. Remember, because God making his appeal through us to the world. It says, through him... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Woo! How can you praise God? Acknowledge his name. Speak his name. Be unashamed of the gospel of Christ. How are they going to know if they don't hear? How are they going to know why you live the life if you don't tell them it's because of Jesus? When you talk to your neighbors, why do you leave every Sunday? You go into the grocery? Nope going to worship Jesus. I'm going to tell them, tell everybody that wants to hear about my relationship with him, of his faithfulness, of how good he is. And he says this, do not neglect to do good words and actions together. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We live open-handedly that what we have, we have. If you're in need, the people around you are loving you and encouraging you, or we live open-handed with the things that are ours. That even means our kids. That when your daughter wants to go to Thailand and walk through the red light district helping girls get, get taken out of the sex trade, you're like, God, I trust you. Even in that, are you radically trusting God with your life? Then he says this in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Whoo! That's directed right at the leaders. I have to give an account for you. That what I speak to you is truth from God's word. And that 
if I'm not faithful, if I'm not leading as God wants me to lead, that I have a responsibility for each one of you as a leader. If you're a boss, you have a responsibility for the people underneath you. If you're a dad, you have a responsibility for everybody underneath your home. That this is what God has called us to, that we have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. You know why this is so important? Because it's inside of the design of God. That who is the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. Right? And as shepherds, we're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to be this picture of Christ as shepherds, which pastors just a fancy word for shepherds, so that we submit to God in that, right? And we see this beautiful picture of even God's design inside of the church that we're held accountable to the way that we live. Just as Adam was held accountable for Eve's sin, we as pastors are held accountable for the sins of the church, for the way that we lead the church to make sure we're faithful before God. And the author of Hebrews finishes this book, and we'll just kind of read through these last few verses, asking for a few things, asking for prayer for themselves, asking for equipment, being equipped in him, and then a final greeting. Look what he says in verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He's saying, what I have taught you, I have a clear conscience about. Now, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God making his appeal through us. You are now equipped. You know that Jesus is greater. So when things come up against it, nope, I'm choosing Jesus. He's greater. Right? He's a perfect sacrifice. And by faith in him, we can have a relationship with him and live according to his pattern. And then verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly, eh, not so briefly, 13 chapters? There's a lot in there. 29 weeks? Okay. Anyway, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. And that's where we end. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will be able to go out into the world with the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. That, Lord, when we are out in the world, make you making your appeal through us, Lord, that we will be the light of the world, that we'll be firmly planted in your word, and that, Lord, even though we might have reproach, even, Lord, we might see things fall apart, Lord, that we will trust in you. So, Lord, I thank you that you've given us this book of Hebrews to study, that we can see that you are greater. Lord, help us to live that out in the world, um, living as um, men and women who love you and point people towards Jesus Christ. So Lord, thank you for this book, and I pray that as we go out into the world, we'll see lives changed because of our testimony. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, we are so glad that you worshiped with us today, that you were able to come and hear the word, um, and we just want to let you know that there is prayer for you. If you need to pray with us, if you need a time to come up and pray because you've heard the sermon today, you have heard the calling that Jesus has for you, but maybe you just feel like you need some time 
um, being prayed over, being sometimes spending just talking to the Lord. Um, Yolanda is here. Yolanda, if you could wave for us, if, if she's going to pray with us as well. If you need to pray with any of the pastors, um, we'll be up here. So if you need a, some time of prayer, as we exit and as we close up today, we want to invite you to come and pray for uh, with us if you need that. I want to close with the closing of Hebrews 13 as it says this, grace be with all of you. Church, we pray that you would go in grace. You're dismissed.